Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, Oxford University, and Kantar, the data insights and consulting company. In each episode, we speak to industry leaders about the big issues in marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. At the Said Business School. I'm Tara Prabhaka. Global Director, Client Impact at Cantor. Today's podcast is about all things related to food and nutrition and thinking about actually the, the consumption and even enjoyment of consuming food and getting into some of the consumer psychology related to this and then some marketing implications. And we're really, really happy to have as our guest today a real expert on this topic uh, and one of my colleagues from Oxford Said, Dr. Cami Krolik. Cami is an Associate Professor of Marketing at Said Business School at Oxford. Cami, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Cami, tell us a little bit about the research that you've done. Uh, it seems to cover things like uh, sensitization and adaptation and enjoyment of food, but we'd love to know more. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, look at the dual processes that essentially influence our enjoyment of food consumption. So there are two main factors that influence our enjoyment of food. Namely, there's the adaptation process. The adaptation process is this process that decreases our enjoyment of food. But importantly, there's also a simultaneous process, this sensitization process, where we can actually increase our enjoyment of food consumption with each additional bite. So basically, I look at both processes and I look at factors that can increase our enjoyment or drive up that sensitization process. And I look at factors that slow the adaptation process. So in both ways, I'm trying to encourage more enjoyment of food consumption. It seems like sensitization and adaptation have uh, implications for the way we market food and possibly in terms of uh, increasing the indulgence value of certain foods uh, or steering us towards healthier choices in other cases. Yeah, absolutely. So these can be uh, used to increase our enjoyment of really tasty, delicious foods, which there are a lot of reasons why we would want to do that. If we're enjoying a fine glass of wine or splurging on a Michelin star meal, we would want to maximize our enjoyment of those types of experiences. As you mentioned, though, there are also ways that we would want to perhaps uh, stop ourselves from eating that whole bowl of ice cream or maybe having that entire bag of, of chips. So namely, I look at 
those factors that influence it. For example, um, we know from my research that the layering of complex flavors and the discovery of complex flavors can increase our enjoyment of food. So if with each bite that we're tasting, we're discovering this new interesting flavor and these flavors go really well together, we can create this strong sensory experience that encourages enjoyment of food. So how does this work psychologically in terms of the, you're talking about layering of flavors and, and things like that. So what's going on that makes that work in terms of enjoying it more versus not? Yes, so there are obviously physical components that influence our enjoyment. We are designed to be variety seekers in terms of flavor. It just, as a biological component, we don't want to consume too much sugar and not enough fats or not enough salts. So there is a biological element to it, but there's also a psychological component to it. Namely, that there is some research that indicates that certain components of our brain get activated by different flavors. So different flavors kind of turn on different enjoyment keys in our brain, and the intensity of those flavors can activate essentially more keys to be turned. So there is that psychological component that our brain and more of our brain responds to these complex flavors. So when we can activate more of the flavors, we get more of those enjoyment keys turned in our brain. And does the activation of these flavors, is that a push uh, from marketing or uh, and the product? Or uh, does that also have something to do with me as the individual, the consumer? It can be both. So in general, a main takeaway is that when we can create flavor profiles that work really well together, then we're going to have better appreciated food. But there's also an individual component you might not prefer bitter foods. So that flavor profile might not activate as much enjoyment mechanism as it might for somebody else. And take it a little bit further, it could be even a cultural component to it. So it might be that the flavors that you grew up on and the combinations of flavors, you're more readily able to recognize those in new foods. So if you know, coconut and lime are your cultural flavors, then you would experience a lot of appreciation for those flavors in new foods or foods that you're currently eating. So there is sort of a, could be a cultural component to it as well about what your sensitivity to flavors are and then your, of course, individual sensitivity to flavors. So I'm also now thinking how this could apply to maybe encouraging consumers to enjoy less preferred options. So maybe things that might be actually better for them I'm thinking in terms of health, but uh, for whatever reason, they're not the, the, the first choice. It's very important to get people to consume less preferred options. And obviously, marketers are really interested in getting people to consume less preferred options. This is particularly true because research has shown that we may choose to purchase a lot of variety so we might pick up those healthy options, but when we bring them home, we always opt to go for our favorite things. So we tend to accumulate a lot of healthy food that sits in our cupboards or sits in our refrigerator, and we end up throwing it away. So we want to make sure that it's not just selection in the supermarket of less preferred options, but it's actual consumption and then ultimately enjoyment of these lesser preferred options. 
So I have research around how we get people to consume more of less preferred options. And what the research shows is that it's best to create an alternative schema for extracting value from these options. So let's just say this is not a healthy example, but say you prefer Cabernet. When you go to the store, you might select several bottles of Cabernet, but you pick up Pinot Grigio and you might pick up a sparkling wine and a Riesling and you bring it all home. But every time you always go for that bottle of Cabernet. The problem is that you now have a bunch of bottles of wine sitting unused in your cabinet and you might delay repurchase for for wine until you've finished all the bottles, but you don't consume it very readily. What it turns out we need to do is we need to create a different framework for appreciating the consumption of non-favorites. So this often means presenting it in a more emotional way. So if we can somehow create a more emotional or self-referential aspect to consuming the wine, uh, this wine makes me feel excited, or drinking this wine uh, makes me feel cozy. In that way, we can actually encourage people to extract greater value out of options that they didn't necessarily prefer as much. So they might have taken a purely evaluative standpoint, like I don't prefer the notes of pear as well as I prefer the the notes of cinnamon or of red berries. And so that purely evaluative mindset prevents them from enjoying less preferred options. But if you can make it emotional again or relate somehow to a positive past experience, that gives them a new framework in which to consume and enjoy the product more. It sounds like sensory experiences have a role to play in creating this alternative framework? Yes, so there's a huge role of sensory experiences. So a lot of this is about the flavor profile, um, of course, because of food. But there's some research that indicates that a multisensory experience can actually enhance enjoyment even further. So it's making people stop and smell or uh, first feast on the food with their eyes And that's also going to enhance their enjoyment. So while some of my research just specifically looks at creating a complex flavor experience, you can extrapolate that to that when you build in other sensory components and make it an even more complex, not just flavor experience, but sight and smell experience, that you're going to increase the enjoyment of food. It also seems that there's, I'm sort of thinking about sort of things that marketers can do here and and packaging comes to mind. Or like, you know, you, we've been talking about wine, uh, so let's stick with wine. But, you know, on the label, there's always something kind of buried in the fine print, maybe tasting notes that I don't know if anyone reads that. But maybe there's a role for like priming people with thinking about here all the different flavors. It's almost like now go on a discovery. I want, you know, on this sip, taste this flavor. On the next sip, taste that flavor. And, and maybe if, if they realize there's a complex profile up front, then that can also help with this sensitization process as it unfolds. Absolutely. From a packaging standpoint, highlighting the tasting notes in wines, which makes a lot of sense, but even in snack foods or regular foods, uh, giving people an idea of the flavors that they're going to experience will help them pick out those flavors when they're actually tasting it. We're actually not that great of tasters. So if, you know, it could be really chocolatey and we might not pick up on that unless we know it's supposed to be really chocolatey. 
Uh, so in a lot of ways, what we think the experience is going to be dictates how we actually experience it. So given that we're bad tasters, marketers should encourage this process by making it very salient or making it very obvious what those flavors are. Because while the consumer might not actually be able to taste every single flavor note, they are more encouraged to look for those flavors and they'd be better able to pick them out when they do taste them. Packaging also can influence our enjoyment, not just because of the flavors that we can list on the packaging, but also packaging size can influence our enjoyment. So I have some research that suggests that when we package things in smaller portion sizes, it makes salient the fact that we're eating the same thing over and over again. So if we break a chocolate bar into small squares, and we think of those squares as I'm eating a square, and then I'm eating the same, not the same, but the exact same type of chocolate over again, and then another square and another square, that actually will make uh, this adaptation process happen more quickly. So we'll satiate more quickly to our food when we break it into smaller bits. So while some people might use that actually really effectively as a tool to inhibit indulgent consumption, uh, if you're trying to maximize your enjoyment of the candy bar, you're better off packaging it as a whole candy bar, not necessarily individually wrapped or individually portioned. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And that's an important point because we tend to think of uh, enjoyment of food as increasing enjoyment of, uh, you know, healthy options and reducing enjoyment of uh, um, so-called unhealthy options. But again, in recessionary times when people are looking to maximize enjoyment, you want to find ways to also maximize enjoyment of the traditional indulgence products as well. So that bit about portioning goes a long way in um, how you market those products as well. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly because oftentimes people have this experience where they might really want to sensitize, like they are having a craving or there's something where they really do want to enjoy the experience. And if we deny that process or we deny ourselves too much, we might end up actually eating more of the wrong foods where we would have just been better off having a moderate amount of whatever that indulgence was or what we've really wanted or craving. And in addition to the flavor profile and packaging and guided tasting, 
there should be a role for consumption rituals and marketers in investing in creating consumption rituals as well, would you say? Yeah, you can definitely look at it in terms of as long as you're familiar with the consumption ritual, I think that that can enhance. So if it's an extremely unfamiliar or maybe even jarring consumption ritual, such as if I were to if go to a restaurant and try to eat with my hands, it might be a bit different than those who are sort of culturally primed that that is an enhanced experience for them. But I absolutely agree that the rituals that we all experience around going out to a restaurant and and kind of the expectation that somebody's going to explain what we're going to be tasting and the different ingredients, that that can all add to the overall enjoyment of the meal. There is this uh, beverage brand that, that brings traditional Indian beverages in packaged formats. And one of the things they do is present mango juice in a packaging that allows you to sort of sip directly out of the pack. And so so you squeeze the mango and you uh, experience the juice and the packaging mimics that. So that's an example, I would imagine, of consumption rituals that enhance the enjoyment of the food. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And I think that that's an excellent example of kind of pulling multiple aspects in to create this complex experience and make even more salient sort of the mango-ness that might be taken away by normal packaging. Uh, trying to incorporate that would give you a better overall enjoyment of something like that. But anything that might take away from, like, perhaps you like biting into a crisp apple, if the apple is mashed or the, you know, there's a different physical component to it, then that could really take away from from the experience. So I know we're talking about food, but I'm going to move away from food just for a minute because as we're talking about particularly sensitization and sort of enjoyment as this sort of thing that unfolds over time and either goes up or down. I'm wondering how this applies to you know, enjoyment of other things, whether it's, I don't know, video games or binge watching things on Netflix or, or like consumption of other types of goods than food. It seems like a broader uh, application of these ideas around variety seeking and layers of complexity kind of unfolding over time. Some of my research doesn't actually focus on food exclusively, and I'm interested more broadly in hedonic and experiential consumption, so consumption that is done for non-functional, non-utilitarian purposes. So in general, we see a lot of similarities between food consumption and other types of experiential consumption, such as listening to music, enjoying artwork, watching movies, as you mentioned, playing video games. These are all aspects where a lot of these concepts will apply more generally. So creating complex experiences, uh, reframing the experience in a way that is more emotional or closer to the self. These are all things that can apply to not just food marketing, but going to a museum or going to a concert. Um, creating these complex sensory experiences enhances enjoyment. Have you found that um, economic factors, uh, such as uh, how much you can afford, your exposure based on how much you can afford to um, different kinds of food, plays a role in your ability to enjoy the food? So I don't do research on this specifically, but there is a lot of research out there that shows that economic cues change our enjoyment of food. 
because people are bad tasters and and don't always necessarily pick up on flavors very readily, they look to their environment for cues about how much they should be enjoying it. Great if it's packaging that that tells them the flavors they should be enjoying, but they could also look at things like the price. And oftentimes, wine is a perfect example of this, people are not very able to determine quality when they're tasting it. So they look to external cues, such as how expensive the bottle is, to help them know the quality of the wine and then therefore it influences their enjoyment. If they believe it's a high quality wine, they'll clearly enjoy it more. So we know that price influences enjoyment of premium products and premium foods. Um, But we also know things like scarcity matter a lot for the enjoyment of food. So there's some research done out there that shows that when we believe food is scarce or a product is scarce, we actually become really insensitive to how much we consume of it. So if we think it is peach season and we only have a very small window that peaches are going to be uh, tasty and we need to take advantage of that, we become really insensitive to eating peaches over and over and over again. In fact, we are happy to do that because we think it's just such a limited time opportunity and, and we actually increase our enjoyment and we don't have this adaptation process or we don't become satiated to these peaches because we know that we need to eat as much as we can while we have it. So those are certain scarcity and price are both economic factors that tend to influence our enjoyment of food consumption. How about social factors as well? So, you know, we often don't consume food by ourselves. It's in, it's in some kind of social environment. So where does that come into play? Yeah, I think that uh, social factors get a little bit trickier. Oftentimes we can enjoy food more if we're consuming with others and we're discussing the food and that's create layering additional experience onto the actual consumption of the food. However, I would want to note that at least in my research, memory is an important component. So it, we need to pay attention to the flavors, but we also need to sort of discover new flavors as we go and sort of any other distractions that might inhibit our focus on flavors, like such as if we're involved in a really great conversation or um, we get distracted, that could actually inhibit uh, the sensitization process at least. So it's a little bit more complicated. So might make us less likely to satiate to our food if we're not paying attention to it and we're chatting, but it also might prevent us from truly reaching that full enjoyment potential. Some of the work that Cantor have done in uh, the food marketing space focuses on enjoyment and how enjoyment is increasingly becoming important uh, in these recessionary times. One out of five plates of food, our data suggests, has been uh, chosen or constructed to deliver enjoyment. Um, So it's becoming increasingly important to deliver enjoyment. And a lot of the points that you made around increasing enjoyment plays directly to that. What about the role of day part uh, or the time of the day uh, in how much we seek enjoyment or experience enjoyment? I have some research that has examined shopping behaviors over the course of the day. So it turns out that um, analyzing 32 million grocery orders from an online grocery store has shown that in general, we tend to pick more indulgent foods towards the end of the day. And 
While this could have been just merely an availability thing, there's tons of late night uh, sinful options open or available. There are many examples of fast food companies that have these late night super indulgent menus. Um, so it could have could have just been driven by this general availability of indulgent foods, but controlling for that actually found, no, it's that people in general across all categories consume more indulgent foods or order more indulgent foods for consumption in the evening times. And that that's even within person. So even when we look at an individual, that same individual orders healthier foods in the morning than if they were to order those foods in the evening time. And in general, we suggest that this is because of general wear and tear from the day. So you start out fresh in the morning, you can make a lot of positive, healthy choices, but as the meetings get long and you've been on running late and the commute's rough, those wear on your self-control. And so towards the end of the day, you have a little less control to exert when you're making those food consumption decisions. So you tend to pick unhealthier options. In psychological terms, you'd say classic ego depletion. Right. So you just are feeling extremely depleted. Uh, You've exhibited a lot of self-control already, and you're sort of out by the end of the day. And so you do see people reaching for that ice cream or that <laughs> that burger that uh, or bag of chips that that happens. Yeah, I want to put up my hand and say guilty. Cammy yeah. <laughs> is describing my death. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do about that though? So I'm sort of thinking that you know there's there's in some sense that's probably not good from a say public health standpoint. So what could what could a remedy be? Like how do how do you sort of reset that clock or that that sort of wearing down during the day so that maybe people get back into their their healthy goal mindset, so to speak? I think that there are a lot of ways that we can try to increase our self-control even later in the evening time. One of the ways that we can try to exert more self-control is make that goal of healthy eating more salient or more active. We can think about other time-related factors that might reduce that feeling of wear and tear. So even something as simply as realizing it's Monday and early in the week might help boost that feeling of self-control because this idea of wear and tear um, is very cyclical. And so while it might be more salient that you've had a long day by 8 p.m., thinking about it being the start of your week might make you realize, oh, you know, actually, actually I haven't been through all that much and it can boost that feeling of self-control. So there are a lot of external factors um, or ways that we can sort of trick ourselves into recognizing that we do actually have more self-control or we we can exhibit more self-control. listening to Future Proof. For all episodes and more information, visit uk.cantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. Please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released. Thank you.